Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. So it's been a long time since we've recorded. Um, and this is actually going to be the pre-show for um, our new feature, which is Blake Spoils Everything. <laughs> hi. Say hi, Blake. Hi, Blake. This is Dana. Hi, Mel. That joke will never get old. <laughs> you were, you were, we were talking before about how we were trying to figure out... Well, okay, so it was, it was we were trying to figure out what the theme music for this segment should be, and then it sort of metastasized into talking about an old conversation you had, which was... A compilation of all of the possible twists. Uh, sadly, I don't have my notebook with me where we wrote them all down, but I wanted to try and make a theme song out of um, the uh, out of all of the famous movie twists we could think of. And I think uh, we also had Snape Kills Dumbledore in there, which is, you know, yeah. it became a movie twist, but was a book twist first. I remember people running around in, I guess, I was in college. When that book came out, I can't remember I anymore. I think so because I'm I trying was to in eighth grade. No, uh, well, what, what year was that? Um, no, thousand four or five ish. I can tell you for certain because I was in graduate school at the time, and mm. I remember <clears throat> for a brief hot second, a former girlfriend and I would read um, Harry Potter books to each other because it was a it was a bonding activity. I guess. I don't know. On second thought, something, something, something. I think it was 2005, because I think it might have been after I bought Fun Games, because um, I think I remember Jeb uh, saying it, and it, but that was like the the spoiler meme of the time. You'd be like, Snape kills Dumbledore, and then people would be like, no, I don't believe it. I actually accidentally spoiled it for someone like two years after the fact. She was reading it, and, and she was the kind of person... Um, that uh, it was in high school, I believe, where it was. It, she was the kind of person that uh, was reading books a lot, so I assumed she was rereading it, considering it's like two or three after, two or three years after it came out. I've seen her reading Harry Potter books before, and I'm like, oh, cool! I haven't read that book yet. I, I heard that like Snape kills Dumbledore, and she's like, what? What? I'm I'm only like ten chapters in. That doesn't happen. No! <laughs> and she was really sad, and I felt really bad. <laughs> well, it's one of those. Well, you knew Dumbledore's gonna die, first of all. And second of all, like, there's... I didn't! What is the moratorium on spoilers? Like, that's that's really the question here, right? When is it okay to spoil... So, here's the thing. I saw the Sixth Sense. What was it? It was... I saw it about... It must have been somewhere about half a year after the movie came out. And, of course, it had been this big cultural event, right? So that everybody was like, The Sixth Sense, oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. What a twist! Yeah, exactly. But, like, I had avoided the spoilers until, like, a week or two before I saw it, and some local news personality made a reference to it, and he's like, yeah, Bruce Willis is dead all along. If you haven't seen the movie yet, you don't deserve to, to have the twist. There's some, some such nonsense. <laughs> but actually, to be honest with you, I found that knowing the twist did not did not take away from my enjoyment of the movie at all. That, that's actually kind of weird that you say that, because I can't imagine watching it without... Not knowing the twist. Uh, miraculously, <laughs> long story short, miraculously, somehow I got to like senior year, senior year of high school without having it spoiled for me. Ever. I had no idea even what it was about. Like, no fucking go. I just heard that it was apparently a good movie. I got it from Netflix, and I was just watching it, and I was floored by, by the, the, realization. the realization. 
And I'm just like, holy shit! Like, and, and honestly, that is why I like that movie. That that singular moment of realization. If that if I did not have that, I can't imagine liking it as yeah, much as I did. that's the thing. It was like the last good Shyamalan movie where I, I actually, like I said, I don't well, yeah, so <laughs> this, this is a case study for the M. Night Shyamalan phenomenon. Because... The Shyamalan? The phenomenon. <laughs> because, um... The, because people were like, oh my god, Shyamalan is so great, he's a genius! Because, you know, he had had these two movies that had come out that had this, like, oh wow, you know, what a weird twist. What was the other and one that was good? Unbreakable. Um, Do not spoil it for me, I have not seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, and I kind of... I feel like there was something before point, Sixth but... Sense that he did. I feel like Sixth Sense was the one where he broke out, but there was one before that. Unbreakable. He may have he did. No, he Unbreakable had... was after. Oh, really? Yeah, Unbreakable oh. was after that. And, we, and that because I remember after Unbreakable we made the joke is like so Shyamalan movies must have a Bruce Willis b a twist at the end. Well, that's a good combination, I think. But I mean, like I'm pretty sure that somehow I realized that Eris was going to die before she did, and it still was this emotionally impactful moment, which actually made me realize. And I think it was actually you spoiling all of One Piece for me, Blake, before I watched it. What made me realize was that like spoilers don't bother me. I don't mind the spoil because it's the experience that I'm looking for. I got a couple. I got a couple. Good... I, I realize I'm kind of unique in this perspective. No, actually, you're not unique. Um, there is a study. On you're the... not special. I um, no. I, I mean, <laughs> actually, I'm trying I... really hard not to be special. Continue. Um, there is a study I read about on, on Cracked. Um, so I don't actually have the source material. Like I can't like quote you shit. But, I think I've seen this one. Um, too, but basically, they they did a study of um, watching movies and stuff having it spoiled, knowing the ending, and not, versus not knowing the ending. <clears throat> and they actually found that people's brains responded more to knowing the ending because they, they were able to m- more fully immerse themselves in the work as and the experience. Instead as, of just waiting As, as opposed twist. to trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, like, just subconsciously people try to figure shit out and make sense of it. And so uh, they found that a majority of people actually at least subconsciously, are not bothered by spoilers. So, here's, they think they so are. here's sort of the opposite thing. When there is no twist and you kind of expect one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the twist is there's no twist. What? The twist. Yeah. So, like, I played in a LARP at... So I went to... Okay, so this can also be the LARP... Uh, the kind the convention report from Dreamation. Um, so mm-hmm. I went to Dreamation, which is a con- convention in New Jersey, just, just outside of New York City. Um, and... And honestly, it was kind of on a whim. Um, a friend of mine, Misha, from online, was like, hey, I've got some extra clothes that I'm not going to wear anymore if you want them. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, where do you live? She's like, Baltimore. I'm like, well, when am I going to get up to Baltimore? She's like, well, you, are you going to Dreamation? And I said, I am now. So I went to Dreamation. And it was a ton of fun, and I LARPed. And we were in Souls of Steel and had a really great reception, and which is why I think we're ready to move into our semi-open beta. And actually, we can talk about that a little bit. I I think my plan so far was release it by request. So we will say that it is available. If you ask us, we will send it to you. We will give you the link. If you agree to send us feedback. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're just giving away a free game. Which is (laughs) fine, but I feel like we're not all completely comfortable with that. I I was my original idea until you brought up selling it, so I'm like... Okay. okay no, no, we're totally selling this. Dana, totally selling this Dana is just more ambitious. It, that is true. It is true. <laughs> I have very little ambition. Oh. Well, no, but it's easy to be happy when you know your goals are all manageable. <laughs> um, I so so yeah. So that's also but but yeah, we had two great. In fact, not only did we have two great play tests, but both of them filled up online almost immediately, like when Dreamation went live. 
So they were both all, like, everything was computer printed and there were no handwritten mm-hmm. names. And not only that, but two of the people, a couple, a guy and a girl who came in the first game, they played in the first game, which I thought was kind of a B plus. We did fighter pilots, uh, space, space fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had only ever played the D&D and stuff before. They had never played an indie quote-unquote game before. And they were so impressed by it that they came back and tried to be alternates and the next day... Except that we were full. I couldn't take seven people. I mean, theoretically, I could run with seven people, but I don't, don't want to run with seven people. That's silly. So you had two games of five people, and they both went really well. The only biggest, the biggest problem with running in a four-hour convention slot is even when you have a pre-gen scenario, it still takes 45 minutes to an hour to do character creation. And so you get three hours to play basically two different games, right? Because you have to have a fight to get respect. And then you have to have all the social stuff. And then typically what we do is we tack on an action montage at the end that might have a few roles because there was no there was no time to to play a full battle scene at the end. Um, yeah. And players really love the action montage. Like, this is a thing that actually has been suggested that goes in the book, and I think we're going to do that. Okay. As, as, a, as an alternate resolution to deployment. Anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm no. oh. Dreamation was awesome. This, I told you that story to tell you this story. I played in a number of large set Dreamation, one of which was Still Life, which is really cool, um, where you're basically rocks, and you each have a philosophical question, and so I was Iron Ore, and my philosophical question was, if nobody makes me into anything, am I still, is, my, is my existence still meaningful? Um, and I think it... I think, so, so basically... But you basically all lie around for two hours. And then occasionally the facilitator will like say, there's a landslide and move you in adjacent to someone else. And eventually the sun blows up. and you're You forgot the right. sexy part. Oh, you can only talk to the people that you're, you're actually physically in contact with. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really neat game. I mean, it doesn't... That's the whole game. If you want to get your friends together and play this game, you can just play it now. You, you know the answer. So, um, but I'm pretty sure it's free and online. So you can find it. Still life. Um... And the other games that the other game that I played was Papers. Papers is sort of this absurdist office thing. So you come in and the facilitator basically acts like a motivational speaker, like you're like really ultra too peppy manager, and he's like, Okay, there's a few things we have to understand here. Like, today we're gonna go from good to great. And then you and he every time he says from good, everyone else has to say to great. And it becomes like this hand motion and there's this thing. And so you've all get you all kind of get brainwashed into this like like wacky office thing and there's there's water coolers and you're only allowed to talk about positive things from your life like going to restaurants taking trips the wonderful things your children are doing um and it's just this bizarre thing and then you do all this like every once in a while he'll call everyone together and be like you had the employee of the month you're gonna lead this exercise and then there's like all sorts of like ridiculous pointless exercises that actually have a tremendous and i won't give too much away that actually have a tremendous artistic quality to them but so you create all these lovely artifacts that are shredded or thrown away or whatever. Like, they, like you know, whenever actually gets to enjoy them. So this is weird, absurdist game about how like pointless working in an office is. And it was really fun because the de- the debrief afterwards, we were all sitting around and we we're all sitting around and like people were saying like people either loved or hated the game. It was either super stressful, like they were waiting for the other shooter to drop. This is so dark. Like this is the thing. I was actually waiting for a twist because I was like, this is fun. Or there are people who just was really energized by the whole experience, and like there was like, oh, I did it first thing in the morning. I was like, I want to take on the day now. And it turned out that the people who hated it were people that actually worked in like office jobs, administrative jobs, or had worked in them. And the people who didn't were largely creative types. And so it was like, no, no, this is my life, and it sucks. Anyway, Dreamation was good. I enjoyed it. 
Um, oh, I just would like to take this opportunity to um, shout out to, I don't remember the gentleman's name, who commented on uh, episode four of Souls of Steel, Fist of Apollo. I am the one that edited that episode, and the reason why it is an hour long is because there is an uh, hour and a half argument that you don't hear there. <laughs> Um, that ended up truncating the session. So it wasn't that they didn't play for a long time. It wasn't that they were like, oh, well, I guess that's all we're doing today. They were trying to, uh, we were trying to do a phone call between the two groups because the sessions were simultaneous. And the phone call met with technical difficulties. And in the other group, we, uh, kind of got bogged down in a debate about the, uh, the direction that our story was going in. And it was, it, just it's worth noting it was a very civil debate. Yeah. Like it wasn't anything bad. <laughs> well it turns out long. That, it turns nobody out that, nobody stopped being friends, but it was a fuck fest. <laughs> it turns out that um yeah, even in our lovely group of friends, that there is occasionally dis just disagreement. And that sometimes But I think the episode four for uh Achilles' heel was similarly short because yeah. of that. Well, you know what? You get a short treat. You get this pre-show, and then yeah. you get the, the show as soon as Blake comes up with theme music. <laughs> well, the problem is a lot of the twists are not a lot of the twists are not like audio, right? Or are you just going to say no, no, no? I was going to say no. I, I would well. I've lined up most the, the first like you know it's it's just a little jingle, right? I lined up most of the song, but I just need to figure out a way to transition into the name of the show at the end. Um, because it was tough to find a word that rhymes with thing. Well, why don't we just have everyone shut up? Blake spoils everything. Well, no. I'll, uh, you're the musician. Okay. You you can tell me. I am, after all, the world's most musically stupid man. No. If well, I could... man, maybe. <laughs> but I, I guarantee I'm more musically stupid than you. I wish I could find that commercial. That's from a commercial for Mars music equipment, which I think is a is, is a chain that really only existed in and around the DC metro area. Well, it uh, doesn't sound familiar. I don't know if they're even still around, but they had commercials on the radio up there, and they had two commercials. One where they were where the 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 speaker was interviewing the world's most musically stupid man, and one where he was interviewing the world's most musically smart man. And at the end of it, he asked, where's the best place to buy music supplies? And they both knew that it was Mars Music Store. But I really enjoyed the world's most musically stupid man because he asked him questions like, who are the four Beatles? Peter, Paul, and Mary. The four Beatles. <laughs> Peter, Paul, Mary, and Alice. Meanwhile, on the other one with the world's most musically smart man, he's like, who? And the guy cuts him off and says, Ginger Baker. That, that's the answer to the question. How did you know that? The answer to the first question is always Ginger Baker. <laughs> <laughs> Any new things like you know uh, what this what the the uh, what a specific note was in an obscure concerto and uh, whereas the music world's most musically stupid man had more hilariously incorrect answers. But uh, I saw I saw a light reflect, but I didn't see a car. There's cars driving by. It mm. happens that we live on a road, and that happens. Well, I'm hoping that Caitlin shows. I know. One of the really weird things lately is like. So a lot of us have been really occupied by different things. You've had a funny work schedule. Um, I had a lot more than that. <laughs> you've gone back to working at um, yeah. Funny Games. I've obviously had issues. Um, I, can, I can give you the litany, but they basically boil down to I had surgery. I had to recover from surgery. And now to make myself presentable in the morning, I take far longer than I used to, which means that 
my day is is curtailed. My day is shortened. I'm also seeing someone and spending a lot of time with her. So, hey, Melissa. Melissa's nice. Yeah. We like her. Yeah. So. I met her once. She seemed nice for about five seconds. I said, yeah. I talked to her. Well, we, we were talking about, We were talking about, like, how we need to, like, double date more with people or hang out more with people. And this is the thing she wants to do. It's just, it's time. It's getting better. Things are getting better. Um, it's getting better all the time. Or something. Peter, Paul, Mary, and Alice. <laughs> But yeah, so so um, yeah, Caitlin's been tied up with her schoolwork, um, you know. So and John and Patrick have been doing house things, and yes. they've been seeing family and doing a whole lot of other stuff. Constructing the ranch. Yeah, so it it really is like it's been really difficult to kind of get the gang back together. If I had more time in the day, I would totally go over to their place and start building, building that things? tunnel. 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 Yeah. Tunnel. I want a tunnel from the road to underneath their house, so that they don't have to have that driveway situation. Do That'd have be to... a long tunnel. It, it short, it'd be shorter than the driveway. Because it'd be the crow flies distance instead of that like crazy switchback. He has to build that. Their driveway is like a half a mile long, I think. Yeah, but the problem is to get a grade they could actually drive up, you'd have to have to build like an underground hangar for like the bad plane. That seems like a really fun and awesome idea. I need to get more familiar with dynamite. When I was I, I when I was a young man, um, Are you serious? <laughs> Yes. Well, for loose definitions of need, the the, the point is that uh, when, I, when I was a young man, we went on a my family went on a long trip out to the southwest, and we found we we didn't stop at a lot of tourist traps. We mostly went to like legit uh, landmarks. But one tourist trap we did stop at was a cat was a, a tourist trap called the Hole in the Wall. It used to be a cafe, and before that, it was a home. But it was this guy who was like. I guess maybe it was built in the 50s. It was like a homesteader that had, mm-hmm. that had gone out there. And um, he just, he had, he had done commercial, like, uh, excavation. So he was good with dynamite, and he just blasted a house out of a butte. <laughs> so, like, this very large butte, and on this one side of it, there's a, there's a hole with, so like, a hobbit hole with a door. It's actually a hole in the wall. Well, I mean... More or less. Inside is this beautiful, like, four-room house with these, you know... Caves. I mean, their rooms are round because they're blown out with dynamite and then you know chipped to a roughly livable shape. But they're like their sink. Oh my god, the sink! Because he just carved the sink from the living rock. <laughs> they had a chimney. For, they had a fireplace with a chimney. Again, he he drilled it down from the top with a drill with an oil drilling rig and. Uh, and then you know carved out the How fireplace. Did it take them to make this? I don't know. Probably a few years. The only. You know, this is one of those man-made structures that will actually survive geologic time. Yeah. yeah. This is this is the Hoover Dam. And like I said, this is this dinky little tourist trap. Like, I, they deserve no respect. But the original builders deserved respect, and it kind of gave me the inspiration. I'm like, if this guy can do it, maybe one of these days I'll just go into the earth. <laughs> and I, I think I sort of feel like your Minecraft, your your your, your previous Minecraft addiction. I wanted to do that before I ever picked Minecraft up Minecraft. Just Minecraft just gave me the outlet. Yeah, no, it'll be great. The making... end times will come, and you guys will be huddling for warmth. And then one day you'll hear booming, and then suddenly the earth will open up, and I'll pop out my little soot-covered face with the goggles and the pants. I'm gonna be like, I found you. Come into my underground kingdom. <laughs> We will be safe. I hope you like potatoes. <laughs> and Will will be like, fuck a duck. <laughs> I was talking about the Mars music radio commercials, which brings me into a good spoiler story I want to tell okay, while we're on a banter session. Um, 
When I was in high school, that's when Sixth Sense and uh, Fight Club came out. And um, there was a radio show. I hate morning radio talk shows. Yeah. I got no freaking patience for them whatsoever. Like, why can't you just play music? I like music. What is with the freaking talk shows? But anyway, the talk show that was on my uh, station of choice in the, mo- in the mornings, because there wasn't anyone that actually played music, um, was Elliot in the Morning, which, funny enough, has, like, hunted me down and now has taken over my favorite radio station here in Blacksburg as an adult. What are the odds? Anyway, I, so I guess it's like a syndicated deal or whatever, and it's basically this guy who is very typical, you know, comedy morning show routine. Elliot is, a, like, a huge dick and, uh, t- you know, tries to tries to scrape open uh, uh, social quandaries that really intelligent people don't have. Like, isn't it okay to do this following, like, totally morally reprehensible thing that, you know, I'm sure plenty of people do when they think that they won't get caught. But nobody would try to <laughs> defend it in court. Uh, and he tries to make this, like, a valid debate. I, I, I've generally gotten the impression that that is, that is Elliot Stig. Well, anyway, one day, so somebody called in and just blurted out, Bruce Willis was dead for the whole movie. <laughs> so to get revenge on that guy... Elliot spoiled Fight Club on the air. <laughs> I feel like Fight Club is one of those movies that might be lessened. You should watch it once without knowing the twist, and then watch it again while knowing the I twist. I feel like it would have been better if I hadn't watched it at all. It was not a very good movie. I love that movie. I, you know, Fight Club changed my life. I, I actually feel like a lot yeah. of the man you know was was made possible by Fight Club. Well, good. I'm glad it helped someone. <laughs> Didn't do anything for me. Uh, I'm, I'm in a probably not quite as drastic, but similar boat. I remember being really bored through most of that movie. Wow, it's so entertaining. It, to me, it, to me, it was the the um, the fallacy of the uh, of uh, of uh, everyone of uniqueness. You are not a beautiful. The monologue is: you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. You are the same rotting, decomposing matter as everyone else. And it's not that. It, what I what I learned from that, which was very important for me to learn personally as an egomaniac, is that um, you know it's not that you aren't unique; it's that being unique doesn't actually give you any worth. There's no inherent value in that. Mm-hmm. There's value in being uniquely good or uniquely useful, but just being unique is something that they kind of, that, that I, I think that not actually understanding child psychology, the cartoons that they fed us may, misled us to believe this was a good thing. You know what? Actually, it's really funny because Melissa um, pointed this out the other day too. We were talking about the lessons that you learn as an adult that make you a better person. And one of the big, big ones is you are not interesting. You can become, you can make yourself interesting, but you are not inherently interesting. Because kids, everyone wants to pay attention to kids. Kids are always the center of attention because kids are kids. They're fun. They're crazy. They do weird stuff. Unless they're in a sibling, unless they're in a sibling structure that compromises that phenomenon, in which case they become ruined. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing, though, right? As an adult, everyone, everyone, well, most people want the love and approval of the people around them. They certainly want attention from the people around them. And, like, it turns out as an adult, like, you're just not inherently interesting. Like, you can be interesting. Like, I can tell you that yeah. software that I led the development of is designing the probe that will orbit Europa. 
in a number of years. And that is awesome. But that is that is because I have done a thing, right? You had to go out and earn that interest. You have to go out and earn your own body. Yeah, go out and earn your stories. <laughs> the, the world doesn't care who you are. It cares only what it can get from you. Uh, I'm reminded of the um, of uh, the closing speech from some movie that I haven't seen all of. The King's Speech. No, it's um, Simone. Alec, Alec Baldwin, um, and he's talking, and it's it's a movie. I don't remember exactly what it is, but the the, the scene that. Uh, which is pretty much most of the movie I've seen. But uh, it's, it's a pretty long scene where he's talking to a, a room full of real estate salesmen. And he's talking, he's basically telling them, you're not special snowflakes. I don't, you know, nice guy, don't care. If you want if you want to work work in this business, then fucking close. Um, close meaning, you know, close deals. Right, right, right. Um, and it's a very similar thing in the sense that the world, world only cares what it can get from you. It doesn't yeah. care who you are. You're not really interesting. You, you may have a story, but no one really cares. Yeah. I mean, unless they like really know you. I mean, obviously, we're interesting, or we would have a podcast. Learning (laughs) that, learning that lesson though, is not necessarily the important part. The real lesson is learning that that is okay. Is learning to not be angry about that. Because I know plenty of people who have learned that lesson, uh, uh, you know, but they haven't quite come to peace, come to terms with it. Um, See, I just had it enhance my pessimism. My my sister's eternally optimistic. And my my attitude of yeah I'm insignificant and I don't freaking matter really at all. <laughs> She's like that's so horrible. And I'm like, but it's true. No, well, there's a religious there's a religious issue there too, though. <gasps> we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. Um, I, mean, I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's their religion, not mine. I don't really care. Um, but um, they uh, I think my sister's really just optimistic. She's very sheltered and um. It's not just a religious thing. I think that's just her. She's she's positive and happy always and can never see anything but the silver lining. Which is probably a good thing. Oh, probably. I mean, I who am I to judge? I don't know. But it is interesting how polar opposite we are. At the end of the day, you either die happy or you don't. Right? I will take the not dying option, if, that's, if that okay, is yeah. on the table. Well, you're right. The singularity. Yeah. Looking forward to that singularity. Oh my gosh. I want to be able to, like, hot swap bodies and shit. You know, they can double the lifespans of mice now. I know. I was reading about that in Time Magazine. Yeah, I, I read that the other day. Waiting for Chinese food, actually. Um, Across the store from Fun Games. And one of, the ways that, one of the ways that you can make yourself more interesting is by playing more games. And I kind of wanted to get back to a thing. I, this is the worst segue ever, so... <laughs> I actually kind of wanted to get back to a question. I think it's an interesting question. We can cut this out if you like. But the finding time to play when you're busy, when you're stressed, when you have a lot on your plate. I've seen, like, this is the week that Avery Magdalena decided she was going to basically up and leave games. Because she just... No, I think in her case, it was more of a case of, like, and I, I can't speculate, that, you know, she'd been kind of doing it for as, as, a, to, as a living for a really long time, and it's easy to burn out on things. So I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to guess. But... It's also the fact that when people have kids or when they have a work situation change or, gosh, they, you know, meet somebody and now they're in a relationship and that's taking up some of their time, um, it's harder to find the time to to game. And gaming is really fulfilling. I mean, if you don't want to game, if it's not high priority, then don't game. Go do your other stuff. But if you want to game and it's hard to find time, like you're in how many games right now? I'm um, uh, right now. I think you're in one and running one, right? Yeah. At, the, at this 
I've been up to five simultaneously. I remember uh, Hykov used to tell the, the really good story because there was a while there where he was in four games on the weekend. He had a morning and an evening game on Saturday and Sunday. And those games were Pathfinder, or third at... Was it? it was, yeah, 3.5. Because one of them was oh, the mine. Savannah Greyhawk campaign. Oh, okay. One of them was... Three five game? Do you want me to talk about that? In a minute. She ran a 3-5 game. That's what I said. Ran a 3-5 game. Yeah. Uh, That one was the Sunday morning, right? Yeah. And I guess the Saturday morning was the Tower campaign, which was, of course, in 4th edition. I think that the Saturday night game was his Skype game with his friend group uh, that included uh, Matt Sharp. And I've got to say that was a Pathfinder game. And then Sunday Eve... No, there's there no way we had... When was Dresden? Dresden took place on... That was... Was there, any, was there any chance there was an overlap there? There may have been a brief overlap. I don't remember. I think there wasn't because Dresden had Will and Caitlin in it. And I had. I don't think I'd met them. We hadn't met them yet, yeah, yeah, because Megan was still... I don't around. remember what the Igo Sunday game was, but he was busy. Right, the point is he uh, played four games. I, I don't know, I've... Um, Finding time to, like, move stuff around because, you know, I have a Saturday night thing and a Monday night thing that aren't games but are, you know, important static social interactions. And then until recently I was in the Monster Hearts game on Friday and the Hyrule campaign on Thursday, which only left Tuesday and Wednesday night for a weeknight to try and do a 10,000 teeth game. And then, you know, we ultimately settled on Tuesday. But then when Apocalypse Will starts in frickin' April, teeth grind... Um, the, uh, that's, that's not one that, uh... It's a pickup situation, I think. Yeah. It, is it Apocalypse World that Will is running? Yes. Okay. But cool. it's, but it's uh, Apocalypse World Dark Ages. Oh, Except right. Will has, like, torn okay. the guts out of the system and put new ones in. Hmm. Which is one of the reasons we're actually not putting it on the air, because, um, it's, Apocalypse World Dark Ages isn't done, and there's parts of it that need work, and Will has just decided that he's going to make those parts work. But I think it's not fair to Vincent Baker to preview a game that he's still working on. That I, right. I was just trying to figure out which hack that was. I'm like, what? Yeah. Will. Well, he's yeah, he's lawyers. It. It's kind of become a Buffalo's Will at this point. Yeah, that's what he's calling it. I drew so. a beautiful map for it, but I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm kind of a kind of a special case. I feel like for a normal person, being in two games is probably the sweet spot. If you're in much more than that, you are you're spreading yourself a little thin. Mm-hmm. I'm a professional. Right, you are. I own a game yes. store. <laughs> I am a professional gamer, so like the, uh, I don't think it's that weird for me to be running. Certainly, any game that I run, mm-hmm. certainly Ten Thousand Teeth, you could say that I'm running in a professional capacity. So, right, I don't know that that necessarily counts. That's more like work. Um, well, That's you know, work. I want to do that kind of work. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make anybody feel bad here, but this is what I've been doing for a living for ten years now. I'm definitely going to be that guy when I die. They're going to say, he never worked a day in his life. And yet, I've seen you do taxes. I've seen you do payroll. I've Man. seen you do uh, inventory. You oh, told, okay. You told me you worked a few days. Well, I have, this, I have this super useful brain damage that allows me to forget all that kind of <laughs> stuff true. once it's over. So I can just... Which is why it's kind of weird for me to think about recapping um, the Savannah Greyhawk campaign. Because I'm sure you're going to say things about it. Oh. And I do not know if you remember it. You I should have to like, recap the whole thing. No, no I'm not going to recap do, the whole thing do, that's uh, boring. You know, for the, so for this episode, I'm going to do Lost. But for the next episode, I should do Paycheck. With Ben Affleck. I like that movie. I like that movie, too. 
But it's definitely a movie that might be best told about rather than watched. Because that's kind of the criteria here. Yeah. It's like Lost is, is, is a thing where it's like, oh, I, I wish I knew what happened you know? in Lost. Well, now you can listen to this one-hour podcast and sort it out. I, <laughs> four seasons. I can see it. Isn't there, there five seasons? I don't remember. Uh, I want to say there is actually seven. <laughs> but the seventh season is like, what? So anyway, <laughs> we're going to get to that. But yes, I, I, I can totally see Paycheck being better to- told orally than, than mm-hmm. watching. Though I don't actually remember it well enough to do it right now. I'll have to rewatch it. But it's a good movie. But it, the, in, in the beginning, you know, Ben Affleck plays a guy who burns out, who does, like, secret illegal things and then has a guy shoot him in the brain with lasers to uh, burn away the memories so that he is no longer criminally liable for it. And um, at one point, one of the guys is like, doesn't it bother you that, like, you've lost most of your adult life It was, like, of 10, memories? 15 years. It was, it was a long time. Well, no, I mean, most of his time... Remember, because he would do a thing for, like, a weekend and then burn away the weekend, Right. But the, no, I, I thought they just worked like like he worked for him. He went someplace for, and did it for like ten years or something. For the movie proper, or for the movie proper, the, he had a weird thing where he had like a three year memory gap. Mm. But for previous than that, they could only basically burn out a few days. Ah, okay. But he had, but he did that like all the time on a weekly basis. Anyway, but the point was that when when when, um, when Cipher from the Matrix, I never remember that actor's name, said, "Don't you worried about all the stuff you've lost?" He said, "No, you know what I remember." The trip I took to the Bahamas and the vacation I took to, you know, go see Alaska, right? I go on these, like, months-long sabbatical vacations, and then I go back to work and make millions of dollars and then have the memories of what I did to make those millions of dollars erased. My life is a highlight reel. This is a great way to live. So that's basically like me. <laughs> Only because you have some sort of bizarre brain damage. Well, it's it's a combination of brain damage and optimism. I, I agree. Yeah. So the Savannah Greyhound campaign was actually the first campaign I ran when I got... <clears throat> so um, I used to be married to a lady um, who... We lived in Illinois. Hikov was in that and so was I. Yeah. We might do that for a story time. You should do that first. Actually, that'd be fun because then I could join in for that story time. Where you guys could just tell your recollection. Well, I mean, no, I mean, the, you're the, always there the elevator, anyway. But the elevator pitch is basically that I was I was sitting under Blacksburg because my ex-wife had gotten into medical school. and I had This nothing, is how we met you. Yeah, totally. I had nothing to do. And so I decided, you know what? I would be listening to some gaming podcasts at work because I was bored. And I loved gaming, I love computer gaming. I'm like, I want to get back into tabletop gaming, so what do I have to do? And so I went and dusted off my old 3.5 books. Because I'd run one or two campaigns in grad school. I just can't imagine you playing 3.5. Well, hold on a second. Um, and then I went with her, and we, first we went to the Beholder's Eye, and because I brought in a woman, they freaked out. And then I went to Funny Games, and Blake was just warm, and everyone was sitting around playing Magic, and like it was just really. This is the old location, obviously, and and it was just. It, see, I mean, it was gross in there, but it looked really fun. I remember that green carpet. Oh gosh, oh, God, that was awful. No way! You came in when we still had the old carpet. That would have been the first like three months I owned the store. We got that carpet out of there real soon. It was gross green carpet the first time I went in there. Huh? I don't. That's much longer ago than I realized. That would have been right after I bought Funny Games. How long ago? How long ago did you I bought it in games? June. I bought it in June of um, twenty uh, of two thousand and five, and um, I know that Chris was working for me, and he wasn't working for me right away. When I first took over, it was just Yanni, and then my first employee was Chris Moore. Besides my first employment, and I know that Chris was working there because I remember when we tore up the rugs. But we got that done, oh, you know what it was? by definition, before July 14th. 
Because July 14th was when the landlord's sneaky clause that he had worked into my lease said that if any work that he didn't get done by that, because the, 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 it, the lease that I made him sign, because I had him totally over barrel because I was buying the place out of bankruptcy. No, you know what? I, don't, I know what it was. For a long time, you still had some of that green all-weather carpet on your front stand. Oh, that, was, right. Yeah. That, that was still there when we moved out. Yeah, no. No, we had it, we yeah, had it all that time. I, I'm just saying that was my first memory of Funny Games, was walking up that, that like, disgusting, like, oh, half-Astro trophy stuff. Well, anyway, we walked in there, and, like, and you were just like, oh, yeah, put your flyer up, and, like, you know, we'll get back to you. And then I guess you and all your friends just decided you wanted to play my game. I guess. Yeah. I don't remember. And it so, was great. basically, I had just gone to... We, Karen and I had just gone to Savannah, Georgia on a, um, on a, just, just on a vacation trip or something for a couple of days. And it's a really beautiful city. There's garden, there's like big parks and gardens every few blocks. I mean, it's just, it's just a really nice place. And it really struck me as being like, it'd be cool to set a city that was, the set a city that was like this. So I kind of made it a slightly Southern feel with, with, with parks, but largely it was, Largely, the, the hook was it was open world, but it wasn't completely open world. It was, it was a sandbox. Like, it was a sandbox, but there was always a hunt that they could go on. There was always a, some sort of mystery to solve. There was always some sort of dungeon to explore. There was some sort of political intrigue for them to tackle, and they could just pick what they wanted to do. Like, And that was kind of how I ran it. But I had... That's but why I ran the, the dungeon, <laughs> But the dungeons were set pieces, and there was one actually extremely long dungeon at the end, yeah. which I thought was... was I, was, I, was I really enjoyed of, that I dungeon. was proud of that one. That was the one with the ShamWow. Yeah. Which I totally played wrong. See, if I had an indie gaming... Like, before that, before it would have been much more merciful. <laughs> like, one damage. <laughs> one desiccation was, damage. Just like, aww. <laughs> he was inside a... I, I well, kind of wanted to see how you get out, but no, the Shimo was the right answer. And I was just too stupid at the time. But that was like, it was after that that I discovered indie gaming. I ran some Dresden Files, and then I ran the indie game. Actually, I, I, I think I started running the indie game like series of the store out right after that. Or not right yeah. after that, but... Well, it, was it was during a break in uh, Delve Night, because I know that mm-hmm. we had already started running Delve Night, because I remember that, that that indie gaming series was definitely... Delve Night took a paw... No, you did it on no, Sundays. No, I did it on Thursdays, and Delve Night was on Tuesdays. Oh, okay. I'm just... But Delve Night, was a great, Delve Night was a great way to recruit for that. Right. Um, anyways, that so that's... It is what it is. But no, I ran for a bit six months. Hmm? It was you, Laura... High Cove, Megan. And Eric. And Jaeger. And Jaeger, yes. Yeah. Not Jaeger. Her name was Jaeger. That's a little she confusing. Was... It's spelled Jaeger. Yeah, I, I kind of got she it. Was, she was interesting. She was she was only at the university for a little while, I guess. She, she, she basically left the university after that. She was a really interesting character. Did she leave the university? You see, I'm not sure that Jaeger, or Jaeger even existed outside that campaign because she came in, she was like, I'm looking for a 3-5 game. I'm like, well, you picked the right week. We happen to have one starting up. And she was like, sweet, I'll join it. And she showed up as at the very beginning of every session and left as every session was over and never once set foot in the store at any other time. Hmm. And then when the campaign was over, she was like, well, bye. And we never saw her again. <laughs> the twist huh. is, she was just a figment of our imagination. We needed another DPS character. <laughs> we also needed a character to... Uh... Actually, no, I guess we, we, we already... We had the consecutive heights because we made her be six foot three just so that she would still be in line. All of our characters... I, I think... a perfect... Uh, yeah, uh, a bunch of us rolled heights, mm-hmm. rolled our heights, and we ended up um, being all within th- all a three inch increment apart, uh, all the way down at my character who was five foot even, uh-huh. and then we had 
I guess Megan was 5'3". Eric was 5'6". I know that Heiko oh, was the six-footer. Yeah, Eric, I forget that Eric was in it because he quit. Right. He was only and, in it for a few sessions. And Laura, and Laura, was, Laura, I think, didn't have a height because she was spending all of her time in animal form. But we were like, okay, well, by caveat, your human form is four, is five foot nine, or uh, yeah, five nine, and that'll make everything. Uh, that'll mean that we we form a perfect straight line when we all stand in a row. Yeah, that, that that's gonna be a good story time. I, I had forgotten about that. We should do that one next time. But yeah, I totally ran a three five campaign, but I just didn't have any like there was no other. What else would I have run? Right? Oh, um, I don't know. What? Vampire, vampire was around. Oh, yeah. I had a negative GURPS is around. I had a negative opinion of Vampire. Oh man, Yanni and his GURPS game. Yanni actually ran a couple of GURPS games. He's told me about most of them. I read GURPS and said, why would I play this when 3-5 is way easier mechanically? Because you can't play a Nazi riding a pterodactyl in GURPS. Or I mean or, in 3-5. Yeah. The real, re- the real thing GURPS GURPS you this. is GURPS gives you all the tools and you're not supposed to use them all simultaneously. Yeah. No, no, you're not. Like, it's, yeah. Which I actually like and a lot of people complain about it mechanically and I think it's just they don't understand that. That yes, it's astoundingly complicated. Don't use everything all at once. I, what's the game Rifts where you totally could be a Nazi riding a pterodactyl and that's part of the game? <laughs> I think that, um... I would, I would, I would not be quite as charitable to GURPS. I would say that uh, it's a very specific flavor that, in this in this day and age, not very many people are going to enjoy. I think that there's nothing wrong with the people who do enjoy that flavor, but it's just not a, it's just not a, br- it doesn't cast the kind of broad net that Apocalypse World casts or that even D and D five casts, right? Um, it's more niche, like, all flesh must be eaten. Yeah, it's... I'll, it's, give, it, I'll give that to you. I think it's fair. It felt, when I read it, sort of like a, a, a not-as-heroic as D&D, but very simulationist system. Yes, that is true. So, I mean, if you want to tell weird stories, maybe it's a good system for that, but even then... If I may. Yeah. I think it comes down to that thing that I'm always talking about, where uh, oppositional DMing versus cooperative uh, DMing, like... When we were, did, did you did you record our like banter about that uh, episode of um, of uh, paranoia? So this is this is one of those cases where my um, where my personal memory is gonna just I've edited a lot of audio and yeah. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Well, because remember, <laughs> you guys did a game of paranoia, which I was not in, mm-hmm. but I did show up towards the end of. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I remember we had a long discussion because Joanna was basically like, "I didn't enjoy that very much," and like you had a blast, and, mm-hmm. and but but really there was a big there was a big disconnect going on between uh, the people who got paranoia and the people who didn't yep. get paranoia. And my thought, my my contribution, though I don't think that it was really, um, I don't think anybody uh, agreed with me. I did. Oh, okay. Um, was that I think that Paranoia was a game designed for a different time because there was a little bit of a dark age there where uh, in 3rd edition D&D the the, the equation between the players and the GM was was a little bit more oppositional. Like, the idea was well, at the end of the day we're all going to have a good time together but the means that we will use to get there is that the the GM is trying to kill us and is only putting so much constraint on himself as um, the rules specify, right? Like if you give cre- if you give players a monster of higher of higher challenge rating than this, you're cheating. 
Because I don't know, Highcove used to do all kinds of math like this. I remember him talking about like applying templates in a certain way to maximize monster power while minimizing challenge rating in order to try and beat the players. And the players were, you know, all uh, highly insecure, socially inept basement dwellers who were uh, competing with each other for the spotlight in the game and to be the most effective person in the game. And there was this extremely implicit um, but very cutthroat sort of competition among players. And basically everybody sitting down at the table was everybody else's enemy, but had to pretend they weren't. Paranoia was a game designed to seize on that phenomenon and make a game that that, that, that sang beautifully in that particular acid bath. But uh, these days we're in a new age of this, you know, more cooperative model where it's like, hey, you know, maybe players can be trusted with some narrative control because because at this point players have been educated to want the good story. Uh, The video game, the online video game community and the online, and versus the face-to-face tabletop community, even face-to-face over Skype, I think is kind of... uh, chromatographied out the the uh, the gaming community so like the 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 forgive me for being so condescending the basement dwellers uh, can just play a game where they only have to interact with other people by killing them and taking their things and you know calling them pumpkin and um, the people who were looking for the other thing that D gave can you know be in their own space they're they're shopping for what I have this is why I always, you know, people come into fun and games and it doesn't look like a game store people expect, you know, from fucking Big Bang Theory. I hate that show. Anyway, the... We all do. My, my entire family doesn't. They love it. It's their favorite show on television. People, so many times somebody comes into the store and be like, it's like the Big Bang Theory. And I'm like, <laughs> this is my fake smile. <laughs> when it ends, you'll know because I'll have killed you. <laughs> Come again! <laughs> uh, I can't see. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> it's so focusing. Why is it not focusing? Because it doesn't recognize me as having a face. Ready one more time? Do it. <laughs> now I'm Blake wants to greet you with that smile every time you see me. I'm not sure that my muscles can take it. I... I hope my body can handle it. Anyway, the um, so so yeah, that made, like that made my day better. this is this is obviously not like meant to be a, a an analysis of the entire gameosphere, but like I think that there's an element there that that's why paranoia didn't really work, yeah, and kind of doesn't even really work that much anymore unless you're playing with a bunch of people who have lived through that particular Spanish Inquisition. Um, you know, it, it's true. I um I did a two session paranoia game when I switched uh, with my. Uh, Thursday night group. When I switched between Pathfinder and Vampire, mm. we did a, we did a two session paranoia thing. They requested it, so I was like, sure, I can, I can work around. Um, and I specifically picked a um, a story um, that kind of encouraged teamwork a little bit more than the crazy zap style like backstab mm-hmm. you know run around backstabbing that that because because you're right it's it doesn't really work anymore unless you have people that. Pr- understand it. I feel like you have to go through an experience of having a party and wanting to fight them but can't because you're a party 
before you can enjoy paranoia in the backstabby totally absolutely there is the falling of the iron curtain was probably not irrelevant as well mm, yeah because yeah, the paranoia was... first edition was written in the 80s wasn't it yep yeah, yeah. You know, I think the real big difference now is that, like, we've come to the place where in a lot of these games, when the GM does something awful to you, it's kind of like a thank you, sir, may I have another? Like, oh, that was good, as opposed to, like, you just screwed my character. You know, like, like it, it's it's this idea that sometimes winning is losing, some, or losing is winning, or yeah. I don't know, whatever. My, my philosophy for DMing is kind of, is, is similar to that. In the sense that I want my players to succeed. I really, really do. But I want them to work for it. That way it feels really good when they do succeed. Excuse me a moment. Anyways, um, we should probably get on to the actual recording. So, well, thank you all for listening. It's been the first time in a long time that we've done this. I haven't been on anything in, like... I haven't even been to the Friday Night Sessions in, like, what? Mm. I will leave you with one other note for this, though. Uh, as back on the subject of spoilers and things that are good with and without spoilers, there's an anime. It's called Nadia and the Secret of Blue Water. When I was in college, I clicked on a link. This is back when you could download uh, fan-subbed anime from, like, an HTML link. Right-click, save as. Um, but everything was real media files, because you had to get them down under 50 meg mm-hmm. for it to be, like, at all meaningful to transfer. <laughs> anyway... Didn't know a thing about it. Not one thing. Just the title. I recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it and is an anime fan, especially if anime in the more, like, late 90s, early early uh, aughts style, um, to to watch this anime, but don't even look at the... Co- do not look at the cover of the DVD. Have someone else, like, download it for you so that you can look at it without seeing any of... Because I, I, I kid you not, there is a spoiler on the cover of the DVD... <sighs> That I had no clue of, and when it got to that point in the show, I was like, oh, wow, that was a thing that I am sure would not have been as enjoyable. I mean, it would certainly be enjoyable, but it would not have been as enjoyable without that... uh, What is it called? Nadia and the Secret of Blue Water. It might just be Nadia, and then subtitle, The Secret of Blue Water. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.